John, one of the last living disciples that walked with Jesus, was living in exile on an island called Patmos. One day, God gave him a vision, commanding him to write letters to seven different churches. John also saw a series of mysterious and symbolic scenes. He saw a door open into heaven, and he was swept up into it. He saw a throne with someone sitting on it. In front of the throne, he saw a lamb looking as if it had been killed. Lightning flashed from the throne and thunder clapped. People and creatures surrounding the throne all fell down and worshiped the lamb. And thousands of angels circled the throne and said in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Every creature in heaven and on earth gave praise to the lamb and to the one seated on the throne. Next, John saw every person who ever lived standing in front of the throne. A book called the Book of Life opened up. Anyone whose name was not in the Book of Life was thrown into a lake of fire. But for all those whose names were there, something amazing awaited. John saw a bright and shining city descend from the sky. A loud voice told him this was where all of God's people will live and that God will live there among them forever. God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death, crying, or pain. A river as clear as crystal flowed from the throne of God through the middle of this great city. Next to the river stood the tree of life, which healed the world from every wrong, making all things perfect. Then Jesus himself, standing with John, said, Come, let those who are thirsty come. Let all who wish take a free gift of the water of life. Well, church, congratulations. We are on week 31 of the story, the last week of our 31-week journey through the story. And it's been a great journey forward, but that means that we end today with, of course, the end, which is the book of Revelation. And so I figure 25 minutes is plenty of time to tell you everything you need to know about the book of Revelation, right? Well, let me just say a few foundational things that I think will be helpful for what our understanding of the book of Revelation is all about. Ever since Russia invaded Ukraine, there's been a whole slew of self-anointed Bible prophecy experts come out and say, this is it. We're in the last days of earth. This is it. And there's been a lot of, uh, lot of people proclaiming this message. And there's this Hebrew word called Rosh which sounds kind of like Russia, if you say it real quick, Rosh, Russia. And so they're saying that, hey, well, this means that it's Russia who's actually invading from the north, and this is going to be the end. Uh, and, and the only problem with this type of thing is that 100% of the people who have predicted things like this in the past have been wrong. Did you catch that? 100% have been wrong so far. Granted, somebody's going to get it right eventually. And I agree that it's terrifying, the nuclear weapons and everything else, but we also lived through the 60s, you know, I mean, they would live through the Cold War. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things going on that we have to understand here that maybe the point of the book of Revelation isn't just all about how things are going to happen. You see, because... 
My heart wasn't thinking when Russia invaded Ukraine, oh, it might be the end days. My heart so far has started to be broken for the 5.7 million refugees who are fleeing from their country as we speak and who are trying to start new lives elsewhere, hoping maybe someday they can go back to their homeland. And I've got to ask, do you think that that would be comforting to them? Oh, this is the end times. Or do you think that there's a deeper message in the book of Revelation? Because I think that there is. I believe that the deeper message in the book of Revelation is that through it all, whether these are the end times as we think of them to be or not, through it all, whenever your life is falling apart, we can look to heaven and see that God is still on his throne. I started reading a book this week called Grace Will Lead Us Home, and it is about the horrific massacre that happened in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015 when a Nazi by the name of Dylan Roof entered into the historic church known as Mother Emanuel and shot and killed nine African Americans as they were gathered for a Bible study. And as I was reading this book and thinking back about those horrific acts, I thought, what would the book of Revelation mean to these people who had just lost everything? What would the book of Revelation mean to these people whose pastor had just been shot, whose family members had just been shot and killed in an act of terror? And as I read that, I realized that it probably wouldn't be, this is the date when Jesus is returning. This is when we think it's going to happen. But what would be comforting to them is to know somehow, some way, God is still on his throne and someday he's returning and he will set all wrongs. He will set them, he will make all wrongs right. Somehow, I don't know how he will do it, but somehow, I promise you, church, in the book of Revelation, it says it will happen. And yesterday, while we were out enjoying the sunshine, an 18-year-old gunman walked into a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, and opened fire, specifically targeting people of color, ultimately taking 10 lives, eight of which were black. And if I were preaching this sermon this morning in Buffalo, New York, do you think that it'd be saying, Hallelujah, the end is near! Or do you think it would be more meaningful for the people who are suffering to hear I don't know what's going on in this world, but I do know this. God is still on his throne. He's still somehow in charge. And I promise you, someday, somehow, he will make this right. Because the book of Revelation wasn't written to people who were going out and looking at the stars and trying to figure out when the end of the world was. The book of Revelation was written to people who were going through hell on earth. It was written to people who were suffering for their faith, people who were laying down their lives and being martyred for their faith in the first century, people who refused to bow to the name of Rome or to Nero, to, to the name of, of whoever uh, the, the, the current Caesar was, and instead were choosing to bow and kneel to King Jesus instead. That's the original audience of the book. And that's who I want to preach to today, because my guess is, is that some of you here today are hurting. Some of you here have things going on in the lives of your families. Some of you have things going on in the lives of your friends. Some of you have gotten news from the doctor that is not good. And you need to know more than anything else that God is still on his 
throne. See, I believe that revelation gets real when we go through trials and temptations. That's when it stops being simply about numbers and charts and graphs and starts being about the reality that God's people throughout all time have always suffered. But somehow God has always strengthened them and given God's people the strength to persevere. And I want you to know that you have the strength to persevere today when you look to the throne of God and see that He is still on His throne. And that someday He will return and He will make all those wrongs right. But until then, you need to know that the book of Revelation gets real in times like these. It's a manual on how to live between the first and second comings of Christ, specifically to those who are suffering to have the power to endure, but also to those who have been seduced by the world to repent and to turn to Christ. In church, I want to tell you that no culture is above seduction. No culture is above being seduced away from God, and that is certainly true for the United States of America. If you look at all the ways that we have been seduced by our culture, it is alarming. And I believe that the message of the book of Revelation is when you're struggling, hang on to Christ. But when you've been seduced, repent and turn to Christ. Five of the seven churches who this, this book was written to are called to repent. And we need to also recognize that we are being called to repent and to put our focus on Christ and to do away with the ways of the world and instead take up the ways of Christ. So let me just give you a few key concepts when reading the book of Revelation. And if you're interested in more, I spent several weeks preaching through the book of Revelation beginning in September of 2020. And you can go back to those, listen to those messages online or on our Facebook page. If you scroll back a little further and do a little digging, it won't be too hard to find. But let me just give you these key factors before we dive into the text itself. First, Revelation is more about enduring than escaping. It's more about enduring than escaping. In other words, a large part of the population today of Christianity uh, has chosen to believe uh, that the book of Revelation is ultimately telling us when we will escape this earth. But the book of Revelation is about for all of us to endure this world, to hold fast in the midst of the trials that we face. Secondly, Revelation is more about looking back than looking forward. A lot of times people will try to find references to future events in the book of Revelation, and while certainly they may be found there, the reality is, is that there are over 400 references to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. You see, if we don't know our Old Testament scriptures, we'll have trouble to understand the book of Revelation. But we need to be looking back rather than looking forward to start understanding the book of Revelation. Next, to understand the book of Revelation, we must first understand what it meant to the original audience rather than trying to pin symbols on what is happening in the world today. There was, a, there was a, several books that came out in the 80s and 90s, the late great planet Earth, which actually came out in the late 70s, but all these different things that tried to pin images on what was happening in the book of Revelation. And one of them was like, these locusts are actually blacktop helicopters, which I agree, are blackhawk helicopters. I agree, blackhawk helicopters are pretty fierce machines, but they don't show up in the book of Revelation, okay? These are symbols that we have to understand what it meant to the original audience first. Next, the book of Revelation is more who than how. You see, this is more about pointing us to who, meaning God, than it is pointing us to how things are going to unfold. 
If you walk away from the book of Revelation with a bunch of hows, this is going to happen, but you forget the who, you've missed the point. And finally, Revelation is more about restoring heaven and earth than it is removing earth. You saw that in the video where we had a city and a garden. In the book of Genesis, we see that the Bible starts off with a garden, with a river going through the middle of it, and we see the tree of life that is there for everyone, for Adam and Eve to partake of. But God's first command to Adam and Eve was what? Be fruitful and multiply. And so what we see at the very end of the book of Revelation is that that has come to fruition. That now, instead of just having a garden, what we have is we have a garden in the middle of a city. And in the middle of the city, there is a river that runs down through the middle of it, and the tree of life is on both sides of the river. What it's saying is that through all the chaos that's happened in the world, through everything that's happened, God is still, His plan has still worked. Did you know that of all the evil that's happened in the world, of all the atrocities, whether it be Genghis Khan or World War II, uh, the Civil War, all those things that have happened, God hasn't been stumped by any of them. None of those things has changed God's plan. God's plan still exists and he will work as opposed to everything else that is falling apart. He will work and ultimately we will find ourselves in a garden in the middle of a city with the tree of life on both sides. And most importantly, what will happen is God will be with his people. It says in Revelation that he will be our God and we will be his people and he will walk with us forever and ever. It is Eden restored. And so one of the best ways I can give you a look at the book of Revelation is to give you seven words. I didn't learn this from George Carlin. He had some other words. But these are seven words central to understanding the book of Revelation. And I want to give you some words that appear over and over in the book of Revelation and talk a little bit about what they mean. The first word is very simple. It's the word God. The word God exists almost a hundred times in the book of Revelation. And again, if you're going to understand the book of Revelation, you need to understand that it's ultimately God who is being revealed. What is being revealed? The word revelation means to reveal. It's God who's being revealed. In Revelation 1.8, it starts off the book by saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And Revelation is a series of visions of Christ throughout the book. And the main thing that we are to come away with, once again, is that God is in control and that ultimately He will show that control one day when He chooses to restore the heavens and the earth as one. God, almost a hundred times in the book you'll find it, by my count, 98, but who's keeping track? The second word is actually one of three words that you will see that's also pretty central to the book. It is devil or Satan or dragon. And you'll find these combination of words about 30 different times throughout the book of Revelation. And here's what we see throughout the book, is that the devil constantly has his plans where he's scheming, where it looks like he's in control here on earth, and then all of a sudden, God steps in and does something instantly that thwarts him. It's not a big drug-out war that we see happening. It's that God, whenever he decides to take control, he just takes control of the situation. We can call those things miracles today, can't we? When God just steps in, God just steps up and says, I'm done with it. Boom, here it is. 
Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse uh, 10. It says, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nation uh, in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and they will gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. I don't know how many of you guys are going to the beach this summer, but don't waste your time trying to count the sand on the seashore, okay? It's countless, and that's the whole point. This is a big army, and listen to what it says. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. This is bad news for God's people. God's people are in a world of hurt. Here is what it looks like here on earth, doesn't it? So it looks like they're surrounded. It looks like that they have no hope. They've been cut off from any outside influence here. They've been cut off from the outside resources. They're gathered together here in God's city. And listen, I want to describe this war to you, okay? Here's what happens in this war. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Did you catch that? That's the war. The history of the war at the end of the earth. There it is. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. The end. You can't even make that into an hour-long special. It's just the end. When God says it's the end, it's the end. It's not even a battle. They gather for war. God's people are gathered together. And then when they are ready to fight, God just wipes out the enemy. God just wipes them out. Church, I believe in a God who wipes out enemies just like that. I believe that in God... So he can choose whenever he wants to, to step in and to destroy what is standing in the way of God's people. I believe in God's people who stand fast and who stand firm in the midst of tremendous adversity, who look to God and who persevere even when things are rough because they know that someday God's going to step in and put an end to it all. And so the second word you'll see is devil or Satan, or Satan not Satan. Satan or dragon. You'll see those about 30 times. The third word you'll see is the word nations. About 30 different times throughout the book, you'll see the word nations. And what happens when we see the nations is that the nations are constantly being deceived. The nations are constantly being deceived. But at the same time, there's a remnant from every nation that somehow sees Christ, that somehow finds Christ. And here's what it says in Revelation 7. After this, I, meaning John, looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, which means they were followers of Christ. They were washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And church, you need to understand here, this is why we put an emphasis on reaching all nations and all people groups. It's because God puts an emphasis on that. God does not love one color of skin more than he loves another. God does not love one nation more than he loves another. God loves us all unconditionally, and he's calling for us to love all people unconditionally. And we want our church to be a little slice of heaven to have as many races and as many nations and as many ethnicities and as many different socioeconomic backgrounds represented as possible. Because that's just a little slice of heaven, and that's what we want people to experience. 
And that picture, that what it's going to be like in heaven, I love it because I believe that there's going to be Russians worshiping alongside of Ukrainians. North Koreans will be worshiping alongside of South Koreans. Iraqis will be worshiping alongside of Iranians. Believe it or not, Democrats and Republicans will be holding hands and worshiping our one God together. And whites from rural America will be worshiping alongside of African Americans from the inner city. It will all happen when we get to heaven, when we see Jesus as he is. Nations is the third most powerful word, or the third word that we see here in the book of Revelation. And the fourth one, I think you're going to like this one. It's, we see it 17 times in the book. It's conquer or overcome or victorious. It's all the same word in Greek. It comes from the Greek word nike. Any of you have a swoosh on your sneakers? Yeah, that's that same word. It's actually uh, the Greek word is from the goddess of victory in the Greek culture. And what John's doing is he's taking this word that's associated with victory, and he's saying, no, 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 let me show you someone who's really victorious. Let me show you someone who shows their victory through unconventional ways. Let me show you someone who will be victorious not just for a season of time while their nation is in control, but let me show you someone who will be victorious for all eternity. But even more so than that, it's a call to us, to the church, to be conquerors. But not conquerors in the way that the world conquers, but to conquer the world with love and through laying down our lives just as Jesus laid down his life for us. And Revelation 3.21, actually to the end of every church, every letter to the seven churches, there is a call, whether they have been seduced by the culture or whether they are, are go, uh, undergoing severe persecution, they are called to be victorious. And it says, to the one who is victorious, I give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Conquer, overcome, victorious. How we overcome is what is key here. We overcome as Christ overcame. We overcome by laying down our lives. The fifth word that I want to point out to you today is the word behold or look. And you'll see this about 30 times in the book of Revelation. And a lot of times in like, uh, translations like the NIV, while I have nothing wrong with them, they don't translate this word because they don't know what to do with it. Because we don't really go around today and say behold, do we? Behold, look at the score of that football game. Behold the glory of Ohio State football. You see, we just don't say words like that. Well, maybe, maybe for the football we do, right? But, but we use the word look a lot. And we use it, it's a vacation word, isn't it? Because when we're on vacation and we go to the Grand Canyon and we see what's going on at the Grand Canyon, we see it. What do we say? Look! When we see the Rocky Mountains for the first time and we're driving down the road towards them, we, we point towards them and we point to our children to get their noses out of their devices and we say, look! When we see the ocean for the first time, we say, look, look at the ocean. Look at how beautiful it is. And the same way, what the book of Revelation is doing is it's calling for us to take our eyes off of the world and to look to God instead. To take our eyes off the distractions of this world and to look to something that is more grand, that is more spectacular. And in Revelation 4.1, it says, after this, I looked and look. Behold, it says it twice right there, a door standing open in heaven. You see, when the last church that it mentioned here had closed its doors to God, he looked to heaven and you see that there's a door standing open in heaven. 
Heaven has an open door policy for all who are willing to look and to see. And the first voice which I heard speak, saying to me, like a trumpet, saying, Come up here and I will show you what may take place after this. And so that takes us into the throne room of God in chapters 4 and 5 and our final two words. Word number six, our next to the last word, is the word throne. And the word throne is mentioned about 46 times. 19 of them are in chapters 4 and 5 alone. This is the central vision of the book of Revelation, that through it all, God is on His throne. Listen to what it says here. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, look, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had an appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. This is an image you do not want to miss. God is on his throne and he is all-powerful. The earth is shaking beneath John's feet as he stands in the throne room of God. And around the throne, on each of the thrones, are four living creatures that day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Church, God is on his throne. And he will never leave that throne. But he will send his son down from that throne room so that we can be saved as well. Because the final word that we see in the book of Revelation that occurs some 28 times is the word lamb. It's the word lamb. I'd rather it be the word lion. I like lions. They're the one in control. When was the last time you ever went to the zoo and they had a petting zoo for a lion? It wouldn't work, would it? There'd be a lot of little kids without little hands running around. See, but this is of a lamb who laid down his life. And it says in Revelation chapter 5, Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. You see, this is an image of a Greek will. A Greek will would have had seven seals on it. It would have had to be opened in the witness of seven different witnesses that were there. But this is not a will declaring what assets somebody will get after somebody else dies. This is a will for the heaven and earth. What's going to happen in heaven and on earth to all the people that are there so that all the wrongs will be righted, so that justice will finally be brought, so that salvation will finally be delivered. And what we see here is this scroll is there. This is the most important scroll in the history of humanity. This is the most important writing because when it is unveiled, the people of God will be saved. And I saw a mighty angel, is what it says, proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? This is the most important question because we know throughout history some people have tried to take control of it. None of them are worthy, whether it be Hitler or Mussolini or Stalin or Putin or even leaders like Roosevelt or Churchill or Biden or Trump. None of them are worthy to take this scroll that is in the hand of God. And it's such an important scroll 
that as they ask this, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls? John starts to look around heaven. He starts to say, who is it? Who is it who's worthy? This is the most important moment in the history of the world. Who is it that's worthy? But it says no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could be open the scroll or even look inside of it. John's response is, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. This dramatic pause is interjected here. This type of weeping is only reserved for a grave tragedy. And yet here it is in this pause, there is great weeping. And church, our world is weeping as they wait. Jews in Europe were weeping at the horse of the Holocaust, saying, who could ever set this right? Slaves were weeping in the American South at the horse of slavery, saying, who could ever turn this around? Blacks were weeping in South Africa at the horrors of apartheid, saying, how could these things ever change? Ukrainians are weeping as they flee their country and fight off their oppressors, saying, if only someone was worthy. And John is weeping on the island of Patmos as he is exiled by the very people he was called to proclaim hope to. But he looks and he looks and he can't find anyone who is worthy. But church, this moment doesn't stop here. It's just a pause. Hope is right around the corner because listen to what happens next. Listen to those of you who are in the midst of a pause. Listen to those of you who are in the midst of wanting the justice of God to be unveiled, who are longing for Jesus to return. Listen to what happens. John feels a tap on the shoulder. And it's one of the elders who's just been around the throne worshiping, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the elder says to him, Do not weep. See, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has triumphed. He is able to open the seals and its seven scrolls. And so John, he turns and he looks. He looks for the lion, but he doesn't see a lion. Listen to what it says. Instead, it says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, but it's standing, meaning it had died, but it had come back to life. That's Jesus, friends. And he's standing at the center of his throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which is a perfect number, which is the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. And he went, Jesus, the lamb who was slain, who laid down his life and is yet victorious, he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He took the scroll from his father. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each one had a harp, which was like an electric guitar back in the day. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. The prayers for healing that seemed to never come. The prayers for justice, which was so long delayed. The prayers for victory that seemed to be swallowed up in defeat are now ready to be answered when Jesus unveils the scroll. 
And it says they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, because what else can you do in response to the revelation of God than to worship? And it said he heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That's another way of saying as many as uh, the sand on the seashore. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. But church, you need to know it's not just the angels and the elders in heaven who get to get in on this singing, on this act of worship. The invitation comes to earth. The invitation comes to us. It says, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Church, we've been invited to sing along with the worship of the throne room in heaven. And in the midst of the chaos that you're going through, you can stand and proclaim, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. To him who sits on the throne be praise and glory and power forever and ever. Church, let us stand with the angels and the elders in heaven together and proclaim that he is worthy.
that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as we have looked into your throne room today, and we have seen that you are in control, we take that wisdom, we take that knowledge, we take that and we want you to make that power so that we can live our lives in such a transformative a way that every neighbor that we have notices, so that every family member knows that there is something different because we know that you are on your throne. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you. You are worthy. How we long for that scroll to be unveiled. But until it does, Lord, until it does, we will worship you. We will endure. We will press on because you pressed on. Make us more than conquerors, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.